Welcome to uh, week, week six of our final week of our study for the Beatitude series. Let's, uh, let's start with prayer before we do anything else, and we're going to jump right in. A lot of scripture, a lot of word on prayer and fasting. Uh, Father, we just come before you and thank you for this time, time that we get to be in your house, a time of fellowship, a time to break the bread. Time, Lord, that we might receive revelation and insight. And I ask you to cover each one of us and cover Brother Jonathan and Brother Jordan as they're teaching in their sessions. And just put your hand on each of us, God. I ask you for the, the tithe, the offering, and the gifts that are going to be given in the Truth Church Center app and the ushers we leave, that you would bless each of these gifts. That you, God, would touch all the needs, whether it be sickness or infirmities, afflictions, those in need of, of spiritual strength and those in need of physical strength. We just ask you, God, to have mercy. Show pity upon us and have mercy, have grace in all things. We ask you, Lord, to cover this session. Anoint my lips and tongue that thus saith the Lord come out and nothing else. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord, everyone. Our opening text, Revelation chapter 19, verse 9. Uh, and he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are true and true sayings of God. The volumes of what can be ministered for prayer and fasting can be spoken of in every service for a year and we can never come to an end. Just the volume. Uh, you know, these last, you know, last week and this week, we've had a lot of great discussion, testimony, and just the word of God, but it could go on and on and just never cease. There's so much in the word of God. And it's far greater than mere mortal man can uh, fathom, much less comprehend. Last week we talked about praying without ceasing. First Thessalonians chapter 5. The psalmist wrote, I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Psalms chapter 132 and verse 4. And again, the psalmist says, Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgment. Psalms chapter 119 verse 64. He understood the necessity of a prayer, a life of prayer and fasting, a life of devotion to God. It's far better to go to sleep at peace with God and to know one's calling and election sure and to be at peace with mankind than to the contrary of uncertainty while we lay on our pillows and sleep. It's better to make a place so the Lord is welcome at all times and not a visitor or acquaintance that we have occasional encounters with. When David made a place for the Lord, that place of prayer and worship before he went to sleep, he was invoking God saying, I need you, this to be your habitation because I refuse to give sleep to my eyes until I have made a place for God Almighty, regardless of where I lay my head. Praying without ceasing, communing with God. In Daniel, he says, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God, Daniel chapter 6. Verse 10, Paul spoke of fasting often, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. There's a lot of benefits to prayer and fasting. We're going to talk about just a few here, but the benefits are innumerable. Peace. When we live a life of prayer and fasting, there's peace. Peace that passes all understanding. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. When we pray without ceasing, 
and we're giving thanks in all things, then we are keeping our mind stayed on the Lord. See how the scripture just flows in perfect harmony? Again, it's written, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenue without right. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7 and 8. Peace is a benefit of prayer and fasting. When we're living that life, that committed life of prayer and fasting, the issues and cares of this world, they just go away. How many have ever felt just the heavy burdens of this world and you begin praying and then pretty soon it's like all the weights are gone, all the cares are gone, everything. When we pray without ceasing, we're giving thanks in all things. Without all those bands, all those issues, they all loose from us and we have that liberty. Another benefit of a life of prayer and fasting is confidence. Confidence in God hearing and answering our prayers when we pray according to his will. John chapter 5, verse 14 and 16, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us, and we know that he heareth us whatsoever we ask. We know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. If any man see his brother sin a sin that is, which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, and I do not say that he shall pray for it. God always gives specific instruction what we should and should not pray for. We pray according to his will. In part, this text is telling us that we've got to intercede for our brothers, our sisters. You know, every one of us are flesh walking through this life. We have good days, bad days. We're all going through the hills and valleys of life, just trying to make it one step at a time. And if you see your brother or your sister overtaken in a fault, it's the duty of the church to pray for him, to intercede for him. Pray without ceasing to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The end of that scripture instructs us we can't pray for those that are apostatized. We'll be futile words. It's a wasted prayer. You know, apostasy is something, uh, just the simplest definition of someone is in the truth, has the revelation of the truth, salvation, oneness of God, plan of salvation, and they go to another doctrine. That's completely opposed to truth. A person who abandons truth for some other faith cannot be renewed or restored. There's only one faith. The word of God says, even as we're called in one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, we've all got one hope of our calling. So when we're praying, we've, we've got to make sure what we're praying is according to the will of God. Another benefit of prayer and fasting is endurance, to overcome and be saved. To not grow cold or lukewarm. We're talking about the benefits of a life of prayer and fasting. So here's three scriptures for you. Matthew chapter 24, verse 12 and 13. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Revelation chapter 2, two verse 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and to give him a white stone, and in that stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth. This comes down to stamina. 
you know, when we first come into this and we're praying and fasting, we may not have real good stamina because we're learning. Just like when you, I guess you first start driving a car, you may not be real good at it. But the more times you spend driving, the better your skills get. Prayer and fasting is the same thing. When we start, we may not have those strong skills, but the more we apply ourselves in prayer and fasting, the stronger those skills get. And the deeper our prayers get, the deeper our fasting get. Stamina and our ability to press forward in prayer and fasting regardless of any and all opposition, whether it be yourself, because sometimes we oppose ourselves, or other people, whether it be spirit or flesh. And when we have no more strength, the word of God tells us, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and bone, flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplications for all saints. comes back to bear you one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. We need each other's prayers. We need each other's prayers, every one of us. Some, in the midst of your crisis, need to draw a shield with a line down the middle and on the one side write down the opposition and accusations of hell on one side and on the other write down the word of God that destroys that lie from hell. Anyone ever heard something just come to you? Maybe God's forsaken you. God's abandoned you. God doesn't love you anymore. It's all a lie, right? One side of that, God's forsaken you. On the other side, Hebrews 13 and 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And whenever heard the devil say he's going to destroy you, he's a liar. 1 John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. And the millions of you're never going to make it. You're never going to have statements. Anyone ever heard that? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The point about faith and prayer and fasting is your shield of faith quenches all those fiery darts. Every word of discouragement, every word of doubt, every word that tries to steal your faith is a lie. And it is no truth. And when you have that on one side and you have the word of God to destroy the word, to destroy the lie from hell, there is no more place. It's just simply faith and trust in God alone. Is this okay? Another benefit to prayer and fasting is healing. 
Prayer and fasting can bring healing, not just to the sons and daughters of God, but to those we pray for. This is twofold healing, healing in the spirit and healing in the flesh. We'll cover this more as we discuss Isaiah chapter 58, which we're about to move to. But before we do, I want to tell you one scripture before we go into it. This, this is, comes prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting. It's, that's the premise of this whole thing. Isaiah 58 gives us some specific commandments and then it gives us a promise at the end that ties to Psalms chapter 37, verse 4 and 5. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. We're about to talk about how can you delight yourself in the Lord. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1 through 5. Brother Gary, if you wouldn't mind. Verse 1, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and shew my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinances of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast you find pleasure, and exact all your labors. Behold, you fast for strife, and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. You shall not fast as you do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast? an acceptable day to the Lord. And we're not going to move to verse 6 yet, but this is the premise of the very beginning of Isaiah 58. He's talking to his people about you, you feel like you're fasting, you feel like you're doing this and that, and he's telling his church, Israel, the sons and daughters of God, you're taking delight to seek me every day. You're fasting, but you're finding ways to make your fast easier. You're finding ways to do what pleases you, your flesh, that stinking, rotten flesh. They were quick in the Old Testament to do ceremonial things, rending of the garment, rending the mantle, things like that. But God was looking for someone that would rend their heart, a broken and a contrite heart. God was looking for someone who would rend themselves before him, that we might be fully open the word fast means to cover as in the mouth. It means to abstain from eating food. That's what fast means, abstain from eating food. So let's start with dispelling some common misperceptions about fasting and let's loose some yokes that can hinder the will and purpose of God. Yokes that can hold people back from praying and fasting to the degree that they can pray and fast. Mankind uses words like partial and full fast, but these are not in the Bible. There's no partial and full fast. A fast is a fast. Whether you're fasting a meal, a day, a week, a month, 40 days, a fast is a fast. And God honors prayer and fasting. I hope someone feels the Holy Ghost right now. God honors prayer and fasting. You don't have to fast 40 days a month. Okay. Someone got that. Okay. 
But God honors it. If you're fasting unto him, praying and fasting unto him, God honors that. Um, we should not demean or belittle one fast over another because this can put an unnecessary yoke on some. And through the years, you know, you watch people in the, in the realms of when people are communicating their expressions and their countenance and how they act and react. And the partial full fast, I've seen people, as I've heard those words come out, that their countenance completely left because they, they felt lost. Their fast wasn't void. It wasn't null. But they took that as, well, maybe I'm not doing a real fast because they're calling it a partial fast or a half fast. Brothers and sisters, a fast is a fast, period. Keeping in mind the level of one's commitments in prayer and fasting can directly affect the end outcome. So if we sow a little, we reap a little. We sow a lot, we reap a lot. That's just the law of the Bible, law of the book. The words short and long fast are also subjective and in the eyes of the beholder. For one person, a seven-day fast is a long fast, and they may faint on the journey. We think about Mark chapter 8. The multitude had been following Jesus three days. They had not eaten. And he said, well, I can't send them back. They're going to faint on the way. The miracle of the fishes and loaves is what transpired then. If he had let them go, that was three days they had been coming. There was that day, and then three days back, that's seven days, they wouldn't have made the trip. God knows what we can endure. God knows what our bodies can endure. Yes, ma'am. So that's a great question. Um, what if someone's on medicine that requires food? I would say you need to ask God. That's a God question. For me, staying in the book, a fast is to abstain from food. But for someone who has a health condition, having to take medicine, ask God and let God tell you what to do and what not to do. Okay? Because <laughs> Well, praise the Lord. <laughs> the thing about sustainability, prayer and fasting, is all of our bodies are different. You know, what, what one person can endure going without food and water may not be the same for someone else. In Mark, seven days, they would have fainted. But when we look at, uh, look at Moses, 40 days, no food, no water. And he didn't faint. Was their faith different? Or their commitment? Each of our bodies are different or unique. So if you fast, you know, 40 days a month, like I said, and your brother doesn't, it's no sign of one being more spiritual or less spiritual than the other. We're all unique and different, and our bodies are very different how they work. That's just, that's just life. We shouldn't put yokes on people for length of days for personal fast. Otherwise, the saint can be discouraged and not fast, and we don't want to discourage anyone from prayer and fasting. Whether it be someone in the church who's been in the church 100 years or a brand-new convert, we want to speak the words of faith that encourage prayer and fasting, that we be a light. Couples, those who are married and those who will be, 
if you, uh, well, those who will be one day, if you feel like that person is the one, try the Spirit. It's really wise for someone before they get married to spend 40 days in prayer and fasting. If you're going to spend the next 60 years with them, what's 40 days of commitment? I didn't get a lot of amens. I got a few, though. But you'll know for sure after 40 days if they're the one. And if they're the one and you've made that investment, and if they've made that investment, how much stronger can the marriage be? Okay, I'll move on. Some have asked, what if I accidentally eat while I'm fasting? And that can happen. It can happen. You can be focused in prayer and fasting. You, you're, having to, you're still working. You're still doing everything else. And you just, it just slips your mind. Not that you're sinning, carnal, nothing. It can just happen. Just repent. Wash your face. Keep moving forward. And God will honor that. Don't quit the fast if you slip up. But keep pressing forward. The thing about continuance in prayer and fasting is obstacles are going to come. Things that we expect and things we don't expect. You know, you may be praying and fasting and then get a phone call and there's a crisis with a family or something and you go and, and you're with a family and there is a situation and you've got to break bread with the family because of the situation that's in. That's not breaking the fast. You, God, you know the situation. You... You're done with it. You move back into prayer and fasting. You continue. The point I wanted to make with this is don't give up and quit your prayer and fasting. It may not come again. And I say that because some seasons of prayer and fasting may be for that very time, that very month, that very year. And next year, that season may not surface again. You know, it's just like reaching the lost and witnessing that we might win them. He that winneth souls is wise. Sometimes those windows come one time and only one time. You may come across one person and never see them the rest of your life. We have one chance that we might minister this saving grace that they might be saved. Fasting is the same. You know, you have an opportunity now to pray and fast. Well, who knows what next month or next year may bring. Don't put a yoke of length of days for personal fast or they can be discouraged. And then they may forsake it and then they may, may miss out down the road. Um, others have asked, what if someone is overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly compelling me to eat and refuse to stop? And I'm pausing here because I've had this happen several times where I was in a consecration and someone was just, I mean, bombarding. It was just, it was almost to the point I thought they were going to grab me and throw me at a table, you know. It's just, and, and you're trying delicately to say, I'm not hungry, you know, you know, whatever, you know. I mean, you can fast to a point to where hunger is not an issue anymore. You can fast, prayer and fast to a point to where your body doesn't desire food anymore or fluid anymore. It just doesn't even cross the mind. And I was there a few times, and it was just, <laughs> come eat. And uh, so I, this is something I've had personal experience. And if you come across that, you've been praying, you've been fasting, you've been in, your word, in the word of God, you've eaten. You know, because if you're praying and fasting, and you're in here, 
you're eating bread and meat, sweet potatoes every day. <laughs> um, what if they continue to press and they're pressing hard and you can't stop? You may have to excuse yourself from their company. And I'm going to tell you why I say that. There's a sample of a prophet in the Bible that God gave him a charge to not eat or drink. He had a journey he had to do, and he was not to eat or drink. He wasn't to turn aside. He was to do something very specific God told him to do. Another prophet came and compelled him and told him an angel met him and told him to come this way. The angel didn't do that. The prophet lied. The result of this is the man died because he did not obey God, and he obeyed the prophet instead of the voice of God. 1 Kings chapter 13. We've got to be cautious about those who say, well, God told me this, God told me that. There's a lot of voices in this world that, would let, that go out saying, well, God spoke to me about your life, this and that. Try the spirits. Try them and see if they be of God. If God told you to do something, do what God tells you to do. You can't go wrong. And if it comes to the church, if God tells you to do something, it'll be confirmed within this book and it'll be confirmed with your pastor. Is this good still? Good. What if I'm fasting and I get a really bad attitude, Brother Tex? I'm offending everyone and I'm offending myself. <laughs> I don't like anything I see in the mirror. <laughs> this obviously is the flesh rising up. You know, our flesh doesn't like to fast. Our flesh doesn't want to pray. Our flesh doesn't want to worship. It's like I mentioned in one of the other, one of the other weeks, maybe in last week, if, you, if your flesh is fighting, you do more, you know, and get this under subjection because if we get our flesh under subjection God can have rule and authority in our life and he can use us for his glory if we submit wholly unto him our flesh cannot have control of any situation at all if you're at that place you're praying and fasting and you're getting an attitude and, and hangry and all that stuff and you got two choices you can give up and try another day or you can ask God to help you and you keep pressing forward in prayer and fasting. And this may mean get one to a closet away from everyone and taking some Jesus time, just you and him. That come to Jesus moment, you know, we all need that come to Jesus moment so we can get back in proper alignment with God. This issue of the flesh rising up won't stay as long as you keep pressing keep pressing it won't because at some point your flesh is going to break down and the Holy Ghost is going to take over each one of us have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling do we let our flesh dictate what we do in the spirit or do we get our flesh in subjection to the spirit does this make sense okay is this helping anyone okay okay I just hope I'm not wasting y'all's time this I felt like these were some good notes on fasting so I hope so um, while every fast means to eat no food, some fast may require the abstinence of fluids, meaning not to drink anything. Example, Moses did not eat or drink 40 days. Then he rebuked the children of Israel 
went to the mountain, fasted 40 days, no food, no water, 80 days total, no food, no water. Moses, great example. It, your body can do more than we think. You know, doctors will say that a person can't go without food for, I think it's eight to 21 days or something, and then water up to three days. Well, Moses proved they're a liar. Um, everyone doesn't have to have that level of consecration, but for those called to that, Moses is a great example that God can sustain your body and keep your body functioning. Okay. Elijah ate and drank two times at the hand of the angel, then went on a 40-day journey to Horeb, the Mount of God, 1 Kings chapter 19. Jesus fasted 40 days, no food, then began to preach, teach, and minister, Luke chapter 4. The importance of this last one for ministry is those, those men that are called or feel called of God to minister, it's important to start the ministry of prayer and fasting. It's just having that devotion and that commitment and that consecration to follow whatever God has for you within that ministry. You know, there's not just one ministry of being in the pulpit. There's not one just one ministry of, of uh, evangelism, but there's several different uh, things that God may call you into. Prayer and fasting, as a preface to that, can help you come to the place of surrender. Not my will, but yours. God can show you what he wants you to do within that ministry. There's some that talk about a Daniel's fast, and, and there's nothing in the Bible that says there's a Daniel's fast. Um, Daniel would not eat the king's meat or drink his wine, but God honored him. So I want to talk a little bit about abstinence. Um, abstinence from meat, dessert, something that, it, um, something that maybe our flesh desires is not a fast, but God honors abstinence, meaning the surrendering and giving away of things that we should not have in our lives. Um, the, the great example of Facebook, you know, for one, for someone abstaining from Facebook can open up a, a door of prayer and fasting, a door of commitment and worship and prayer, simply because it removes an obstacle out of the way, removes a distraction out of the way, and then you have clear focus to God. Um, to do this unto God, abstinence, God honors abstinence when we choose him over what our flesh in this world desires. There's two types of fast in the Bible. Churchwide fast, which is what uh, Pastor Darren called on Sunday. Uh, and this will always come from the ministry with specific instructions for when to start and end the fast and, of course, what uh, to pray and fast for. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 6, there was a churchwide fast. They fasted on one day. Judges chapter 20, verse 6, the church started a fast on a day and fasted until evening of the same day. Um, and then Joel chapter 2, verse 15 and 17, which is the solemn assembly, uh, which is the church, church called a fast. A person's individual fast is different than a church-wide fast. When a pastor or minister calls for a church-wide fast, they set, here's what the fast is for, here's when you start, here's when you end. But a personal fast is intimate and personal between you and God alone. There's no one that should tell you, here's how long to fast, because it's you and God. It's intimacy, relationship. It's uh, marriage is, I guess, the best word I can think of. It's that communion between you and your God. Your fast can start and end at any time as you are loosed of the Holy Ghost. As you may start a fast and then a day in or two days in, God may loose you and, and that's it, you're done. 
or God may not loose you for seven days. That's between you and God. And no man should come in between you and your God. Is this still okay? Okay. For each saint's personal fast, not talking about church-wide, but your personal devotion, we can't put limitations on when and how long. This again puts that yoke on. Some take communion after prayer and fasting, which is not required, but you think about it, if you've been in prayer and fasting, you should be clean and pure. Communion should only be taken, what, when you're clean and pure. So there's sound wisdom at the end of fast to take communion, but it's not required. Um, he did say as often as we do it, we do it in remembrance of him, taking the, the body and the blood of Christ. Um, how about temptation and fasting? Anyone ever been fasting at the end of fasting, you struggle with your flesh or temptations or things? Okay. Some may experience temptation at the end of prayer and fasting, especially depending on the degree of your prayer and fasting. Jesus, at the end of 40 days, he was tempted three times. He wasn't tempted during it. At the end, Jesus came and tempted him. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. This is an important lesson for us that we must be diligent, not just during the fast, but at the end of the fast, because that time our flesh can be weak, lack of food, lack of fluids, and we've got to be diligent that we don't allow something in, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump, that could defile us. We've got to guard ourselves. Couples, guard your marriage, prayer and fasting, guard your marriage lest the enemy get a stronghold. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. Defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Whether you're single or married, prayer and fasting is a necessity for the church, but for couples it's especially important that your marriage stay strong and stay whole, that you, you, know, that you heed to the word of God, uh, not to defraud, but then have that consent for a time that's mutually agreed upon. Hygiene, how many have ever been praying and fasting and realized you had dragon breath? Okay. Fasting detoxifies the body. It just does. You get impurities out, It'll come out your skin, come out, obviously, your mouth, everywhere else. Uh, when fasting, especially on longer fasts, it's important to be diligent about your health and hygiene so that you don't offend someone when you talk to them. Okay? Praise the Lord. I'll move on. I don't know how many people know this, but the enemy, the devil, prays and fast and has his people pray and fast. And even in Grayson County, there's groups of satanic that pray and fast for the destruction of the saints. That's happening, like even in our county. Um, in Acts chapter 23, verse 21, but do not thou yield unto them for there lie in wait for him of them more than 40 men which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. Talking about Paul. And now they are ready looking for a promise from the, the enemy is looking to destroy the church. And if the enemy has their group praying and fasting for the destruction of the church and the sons and daughters, how much more should we who have the ark of safety? truth should we pray and fast 
And I shared this not for anything other than the understanding this is a real war. And a war isn't just one-sided, one-sided fighting, but it's both sides fighting. And our war is through prayer and fasting. That's our fight, the fight of faith. Let's continue Isaiah 58 and see what God calls as a fast. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6 and 7. Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? And when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Seven things that the sons and daughters of God are called to do in prayer and fasting. Seven things. Loose the bands of wickedness. Undo the heavy burdens. Let the oppressed go free. Break every yoke. Deal our bread to the hungry. Bring the poor that are cast out to our house and cover the naked and think nothing of our own flesh. Seven charges when we're in prayer and fasting. Let's break down a few of these, and just for time's sake, we'll just do the first few. And just for your study notes, dealing with these seven items that God calls the church to do, there's volumes of scripture that tie every one of these to the word break in its variations. Break, breaketh, and broken. These words have many meanings between the Greek and the Hebrew, but as it relates to prayer and fasting, the word break means burst. So number one, loose the bands of wickedness. Bands refers to fetters and to pain. Fetters are the chains and shackles that bind people, keeping them in bondage to do wrong and wickedness and iniquity. This is referring to those who want to be free, but they can't get free because some people want to stay in sin. Some people have no desire to be delivered. I mean, if we're praying for someone and they have no desire for freedom, why are we praying for them? But if someone who wants to be free, we should be praying and fasting for them. So these bands and the fetters are those who want to be free of sin and they're bound beyond their control. Number two, undo the heavy burdens. Undo means to jump as in shake off, to drive asunder and to undo. The heavy burdens are weights that hold men and women down. Anyone ever seen someone that had like completely full 100 pound, 200 pound, whatever on their shoulders? They're immobilized. They can't move with freedom and liberty. The weights. We are to undo the heavy burdens, the weights of this world, the heavy laden. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Number three, let the oppressed go free. Oppressed means to crack in pieces, to break, bruise, crush, and discourage. Number four, break the yoke. In the old days, it was often said, how many have ever heard the anointing breaks the yoke? Okay. In the old days, that was always said, the anointing breaks the yoke, but it's rarely said in today. The reason that was said for so long is virtually every scripture in the Old Testament, God always breaks the yoke. There's only one scripture where he destroys the yoke. Everything else, he always breaks the yoke. The yoke he's going to destroy is the yoke of Trinity and idolatry and all that garbage in the end, which hasn't come to pass, but it will very soon. In Isaiah, God commands his anointed, the church, to break every yoke. 
So have any seen one of those wands that make the big soap bubbles? Okay. I wanted to get one for tonight. I couldn't find one upstairs. But when you do that wand, you get that big soap bubble. What happens when you pop it? You break it. It burst. Can you rebuild it? Can you put it back together? Can you take the fragments and pieces and build something? Because when you break it, it is broken forever and can never be rebuilt again. This is the yoke God commands us, break every yoke, is to break the yoke so it cannot be rebuilt ever again. We're charged to break every yoke. Numbers, uh, number five, number six, and number seven. I'm going to group these together because I know we're at 19 minutes. So, Number five, deal that bread to the hungry. Number six, deal to bring the poor that are cast out to our house. Number seven, cover the naked and think nothing of our own flesh. These deal with the abasing of self and the tending to the needs of others. And each of these is twofold, providing what the person needs in the natural so that they can be sustained and live, and what they need spiritually that they might live in eternity. When we fulfill our purpose in prayer and fasting, then we find what at the onset, light and help. After the Lord talks about these seven charges to the church, in verse 8 he says, Then shall thy light rise, thy light break forth as the morning, and thine help shall spring forth speedily. And thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward. Verse 9, Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger and speaking vanity. And if thou draw thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity and thy darkness be as a noonday. You see the benefits of prayer and fasting? Our darkness is a noonday. Our health restored. We call on God and he says, well, I'm already right here. We don't have to wait. You know, I hear, I hear you. I'm right here as you speak. Verse 12, or verse 11, And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and shall satisfy thy soul in drought, continual benefits, and make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be like a water garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. Verse 13 and 14, our last two verses. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing in thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. And I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob, thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Seven charges in prayer and fasting. Seven items that we are compelled and required to do. Loose the bands of wickedness. Undo the heavy burdens. Let the oppressed go free. Break every yoke. Deal our bread to the hungry. Bring the poor that are cast out to our house and cover the naked and think nothing of our own flesh. When we fulfill these all the way down, to verse 14, he says, Then 
we have delighted ourselves in the Lord. So how do we delight ourselves in the Lord when we put that in a, a realm of logic? It's a transformation of the mind. When we start prayer and fasting, our mindset may be one thing, but as we move through prayer and fasting, the further we go, the deeper we go, our desires change. What we long for may not be the same on day three as it was day one. You know, maybe day one we had all the hangry issues and we were mad at everyone, but by day three we've got peace. Maybe we could see a little bit clearer. And the thing about delighting ourselves in him, that transformation is, it's no more my will, but it's your will. Has anyone ever prayed for something and then afterwards you were like, that was really dumb. Yeah, I wish I hadn't done that. Wish I had thought about that before I opened my mouth to God. I mean, I speak from experience. There's been several things I've prayed and then I've, I just shook my head, and I know God was up there just looking down at me. So, oh, me We've all been there, I reckon. But the more we pray and fast, the more we come in tune with the Holy Ghost. And the more our, our mind changes, our heart changes, our desires change. There's something that happens in the world when... The children of God pray and fast. In Jonah, when Jonah finally did what God said, and he gave the word of God, the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast. All of them. These were people who didn't even know their left hand from their right hand. But they believed once a child of God obeyed the voice of God and did what God told them to do. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. You'll find many places throughout the Bible and in our nation in America where our forefathers proclaimed fast before going into battle and preparing. I've heard stories about George Washington and others just proclaiming a fast, calling people a solemn assembly. Because they understood God's the foundation of everything. When the people of God, the children of God, get committed in prayer and fasting, issues change. The war changes. The tide changes. And God shows his glory. Anyone ever heard of Esther? Great affliction. Hammond's out killing all the church. Sounds like Paul hauling them off to jail. They proclaim a fast. They begin praying and fasting, and all of a sudden something changes. God has mercy. God has compassion. And those that were seeking the destruction of the church were destroyed. Peace came. Victory came. But I want to show you something in Scripture that I don't know if I've ever heard preached about. If I have, I just don't remember. Esther chapter 8, verse 17. And in every province and in every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day. And many of the people of the land became Jews. They were converted. For the fear of the Jews fell upon them. 
when we are in proper alignment in prayer and fasting, this world trembles and there's going to be a fear of God. We've heard for more years than I can count about a latter-day outpouring, what will be one day. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. You can ask someone to pray for you and fast for you, but they can't pray for you and fast for you. A little play on words there. Will you do my praying for me? Will you do my fasting for me? We've got to step up to the plate as children of righteousness, children of light, to pray and fast without ceasing. To pray without ceasing and to fast. Because we need a break from fasting every now and then. No 40-day fast a month. Okay. We, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about last Wednesday night here in just a minute. We'll close with that. Um, there have been many times that I have been asked through the years about a situation, a critical situation for someone, about what's the will of God for this and can you help me pray for this. And, and probably about a dozen or two dozen times, maybe at the most in the last 20 years, I've, I've given the advice that I've penned here and that was a fleece. Anyone ever heard of a fleece? Okay. A fleece seeks a black and white answer, yea or nay, from the Lord. And most scripture refer to this as a sign from God, as a witness in the fruition of the will of God. Fleecing the Lord should uh, never replace diligence in prayer and fasting. And a fleece should not be a regular occurrence, otherwise we were always looking for a sign and we know how God feels about those looking for signs. And we, if we always need a sign, then where's our faith and faithfulness? The last person that asked me about a fleece, I just gave them specific instructions. And I, and I guess I'm sharing this because you may come across a time in your life where you have prayed and you have fasted, you have sought the face of God, and you, you have no answer. And it's been months. And you need an answer, and you don't have one. You've waited, waited, waited. The last person to ask me, I just gave him specific instructions not to talk to anyone on the planet about the situation, to go into their closet, shut the door, and ask God for that black and white answer, yay and nay, and to do it in a way that it's unmistakably a yes or no. And it was almost no time, and they called me back, and they had the answer. And it was, they already knew the answer. God had already told me when I was talking to him, but I... I didn't want to say it because I wanted that person to know God gave them the answer. Because if they had gone the path they were going, they would have suffered greatly, greatly. A fleece gives an answer that I know without a doubt this is the direction God has for me. In Gideon, uh, Gideon in Judges chapter 6, fleece the Lord. And he received his answer, and then he fleeced the Lord again and received his answer. And it was consistent. The word of God will always be the same. And if you feel like God has given you an answer in prayer and fasting, it will always line up with the book. And it will always line up with your pastor. Is that good? Okay. If you get an answer in prayer and fasting and it doesn't line up with the Bible, it doesn't line up with your pastor, might need to go back to more prayer and fasting, okay? Because God is not the author of confusion. 
God is the author of truth and only truth. Is this still okay? Okay. Last week, I had mentioned about letting go and letting God. And I know we're at eight minutes. I'm watching the clock because I, I want to have a little time to pray at the end. Last week I mentioned about letting go, let God, if we act, react and act to the Holy Ghost, respond to the Holy Ghost, maybe someone would throw caution to the wind. And who knows what God may do. Because if one person ignites on fire and that coal jumps person to person to person, I mean, what would happen in this house tonight? If a coal of revival just jumped on one person and they got loosed in the Holy Ghost. I hope someone feels the expectation I have. I feel. This, brothers and sisters, is not a spectator sport, but we, where we wait and see what others do. But both old and young are participants. Both, both old and young must pray and fast. Both old and young must worship. It's not a, the young people's game for just the young people to do it. It takes the whole body. It's not just the marrieds or the singles. It's not just the elders. It takes every person in the church. We are one body and not separate divisions of a body. What if you are the key to the next outpouring simply by completely surrendering to the Holy Ghost, by getting lost in prayer and worship before the Almighty, not caring who's around you or even what they may think or say about you, I mentioned last week they can't heal you, they can't save you, they can't deliver you. They definitely can't make you whole. No one beside you can make you whole. Only God can. What if we threw caution to the wind? And last, I mentioned that, that I have felt for a long time in our church, this church is in a season of outpouring, of revival, and growth, and spiritual maturity. And that's time to get out of the out of the comfort zones. Those places where we're holding on to the chair and all the rest of you can get out in the aisles and I'll just hold on to my little real estate here. <laughs> Praise God. What would happen if we all got out of our comfort zones? And just who cares who's around you? Who cares who sees? Who cares what someone thinks? Just dive into those spiritual waters. So I talked about that last week, and at the end of service, a sweet sister asked for prayer that God would refill her, for it had been many, many years since she had been deeply overwhelmed in the Holy Ghost, and she so desired it so much, and she has for years, and uh, sweet, sweet sister, She's come again and again, walked away with partial but not the whole. Anyone ever walked away with part of what you came for but not got the whole thing? I asked her, he was asked of her, she believed God could do this, and she said yes. The first confession of faith, and that was an important step. Those that remained, and after Wednesday service, there were Almost everyone was gone, but there was just a small remnant of people that stayed here Wednesday night, and we began praying for her and interceding. 
Instruction was given just to keep the mind focused, minimize distractions, and just a short rabbit trail. You know, in altar working, sometimes you've got to give instruction. You ever been praying with someone and then they're, they're kind of looking who's around? Sometimes you've got to give instruction. Just get your mind just focused on God, not on anyone in this building. In this altar right now, it's just you and God and no one else, period. Instructions needed at the altar sometimes. Due to what each person may be saying, praying, some may just not be focused. Instruction in prayer brings the person in unity with the Holy Ghost and gets the mind in subjection. God already knows the thoughts in that person's mind and already knows what they're dealing with at that very moment. Have you ever been praying for someone and you walk away and nothing happens and someone comes up behind you and God lays them out in the Holy Ghost? <laughs> I'll give you a word of wisdom about that. One person comes and prays and it pulls walls down. It pulls down issues of life. You may see nothing happen. The next person comes, another wall comes down. Another person comes, another walls, and then the fourth person comes, and they, they're flattened on their back in the Holy Ghost. The fourth person wasn't more spiritual than the first. It took each person obeying the voice of God. Man, I, man I'm, can y'all feel this? It takes each person obeying the voice of God in ministering, praying for someone to bring all that stuff down so that they might receive what God has predestined at that very moment. It took the first, the same as the second, the third, and the fourth. Don't be discouraged if you're praying with someone and you see nothing and you see Brother Billy Bob comes up and God fills him up with the Holy Ghost. Okay? They're not more spiritual than you. It's just time and back <laughs> but there was a breakout at that time as folks pressed in intercession and petitions and supplications they pressed and pressed and there was a remnant that prayed 
to the level that worship broke out that I was expecting the church to start shaking. I mean, it was just so powerful, so amazing, God. And that remnant began praying for Sister Ginger and Brother Darren, specifically for health and soundness of their members, holding fast to the Lord, finances, blessings, a double portion, and that every bit of this would be done only for the glory of God. You know, it's, it's great if we pray for someone and God fills them with the Holy Ghost. It's great if we pray for someone and, and God just does a great miracle, but we're nothing. We're just dust. So that this would just glorify God. And about 9.30 Wednesday night, prayer kind of ended. And I say kind of ended because the power of God was so strong that there were some that witnessed that it continued for days after. They were overflowed at their home. And the next day and the next day, it just did not cease. And we saw this same with Holy Week, that as folks pressed in prayer and worship in Holy Week, they had that same experience that even after those services, that still lingered in their home, in their spirit. Even in their homes, seeing the glory cloud, that haze about their home, just the presence of God resting there. We're at time. And I promise you, I don't want to stop. I promise you, I'd rather go on through the midnight hour, to be honest with you. This is our last session of the breakout sessions, and we're going to have prayer and close, but I just implore you, pray without ceasing. Get into Acts, I mean, get into Isaiah chapter 58 about prayer, fasting, and the charge of the church, and see what God does in you and your family, your home and your life. Let God have glory in this thing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this, this whole series that you have been gracious and kind and merciful to allow us to be here as a body, as a people. For every scripture, every word, Lord, for every definition, for every meaning, I thank you, God, for the testimonies. And I thank you, Lord, for, for prayer last Wednesday night and just the, the might of your power in this sanctuary. And I, I praise you, Lord, for the, each service, each time you meet us and your grace, God, that does not cease and your mercy that does not fail. And I, I ask you, Lord, at this very hour that you, God, would meet us in a great way. Lord, that you would help us to fulfill the purpose and calling that you put upon the sons and daughters of God, that we might show ourselves valiant in battle, that we might show ourselves honorable unto you. Anoint every man and woman under the sound of my voice. I pray from the crown of the head to the sole of the feet. Let fresh oil flow from your throne, God, crowned with glory and majesty. I pray, O oh God, as your word says, let the yoke be broken. Let the bands be loose. Let the heavy burdens be undone. Let the oppressed go free. God, let strength reign in the members of your church. Let us be a church, God, that prays without ceasing. Let us be a church, God, that calls out to you, the author and the finish of our faith, desiring, Lord, a more excellent thing that we might attain to this precious calling, that we, God, might earnestly contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints. We call on you between a porch and an altar, God. Teach us to pray. Teach us, Lord, how to worship. Teach us how to be true men and true women. Teach us how to be holy unto you, Lord, as Aaron had across his chest.